Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me another Monday evening. And wherever you may be accessing this radio program by way of podcast, whether it be in the state of California or outside the state and country for that matter, if you are tuning in from Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Canada, Mexico, I'm seeing in the index feed uh, folks from France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Greece, India, uh, and other areas throughout the world. It is always humbling that you are taking 30 minutes out of your time to listen to me here in this studio. And I say me because I am flying solo this evening. Typically, I have John O'Hara with me or John and George Wing with me. They are unable to join me this evening. So great to have you with me this evening. Uh, We go back to our regular programming, and by that I mean going back to uh, the great Christian thinkers. If you have been with us over the last three weeks, you know we hit the Crusades, and all of those questions we have about the Crusades pretty hard. So yeah, we just felt it necessary to pause in this time frame that we are in, and by time frame, 12th and 13th century, right, to really give due honor to such an important piece in our history, to, in many ways, as I just said, clarify the many questions. And from your feedback, I think we, we were able to, at the very least, clarify, and uh, in some cases, generate some new conversations. So I thought that was important. And again, uh, I do thank John O'Hare and George for joining me for that special three-part series. So, I just mentioned the 12th and 13th century. This is where we're at. Now, if you have been with us from the beginning, you know that this night is devoted to the great ancient Christian thinkers, right? And we started with the first church fathers, and by that I mean the apostolic fathers as we know them as evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We took a look at some important figures from the book of Acts, and then we really launched into The Church Fathers, as we think about them in more conventional terms, right? St. Clement of Rome, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Justin, and so many of the great Church Fathers, and we have just been working our way through history with these towering figures, a number of which are doctors. We've talked about what that means. So we've arrived at this point where, yeah, early 13th century, We've talked about uh, Thomas Aquinas, we've talked about uh, St. Anthony of Padua. In fact, St. Anthony of Padua, the great Franciscan, was the last figure we talked about. So what I thought we would do this evening is focus in on another Franciscan, a Franciscan that St. Anthony influenced, and that is one St. Bonaventure. Uh, Maybe many of you out there know all about St. Bonaventure. He is another doctor of the Church and someone widely important, certainly, to the Middle Ages. So, what can we say about St. Bonaventure, born roughly in 1217 and died in 1274? So, he lived for a span of roughly 57 years. Now, why do we even note their age? I was thinking about this on my way over here this evening, and we have talked about a great number of saints who have lived 
till they were 25, 30, 35, 75, 48, all of these different ages. And one of the things that strikes me is if you are that age, that saint that we are talking about ought to be almost a measuring stick. Are we doing what God is asking us to do? Are we accomplishing what God is asking us to accomplish? I mean, if you're 57 years old, God throws it into your court. (laughs) Are you living a saintly life? Are you aspiring towards sanctity and holiness? Every time I read about a saint who is my age, I always find myself challenged by it. And so, yeah, we duly note how old some of these great Christian thinkers are, because in of itself, it is a gentle reminder of how we are called to imitate Christ the way these great Christian thinkers imitated, just not what they said and and what they wrote about, but how they lived out their faith. Because all of these great thinkers that we have been talking about were all first men who had a heroic heart for charity, and certainly St. Bonaventure fits in that camp. So, St. Bonaventure was, we could say, among the many great Christian figures who contributed to the composition of the harmony that we have spent so much time talking about as it relates to faith and reason, and, and we can also say between faith and culture, because this was so important to one St. Bonaventure. Incidentally, I will be drawing from Benedict XVI as we've been drawing from his Wednesday audiences, his series on these great Christian thinkers. So to study his life, essentially, is to see a man who stands out, like so many of his predecessors, as a man of action and contemplation, of profound piety, and at the same time, prudential government. Who was he? By birth, Giovanni di Ferranza, right? As We've discussed before, many of the great saints had their name changed when they became religious, huh? So, to go back into his life and highlight the important events that molded him is essentially to turn back to a very specific episode that occurred while he was still a young man, as he himself recounts. He fell seriously ill, and even his father, who was a doctor, gave up all hope of saving him from death. And so his mother had recourse to who but the intercession of one St. Francis of Assisi, the saint for all ages, who had at that point, interestingly enough, had recently been canonized, huh? And as the story goes, Giovanni recovered. And this healing would prove to be important in his life as he would become even more familiar, certainly years later, as he began to study the life of St. Francis of Assisi when he went to study at the University of Paris. There, at University of Paris, he obtained a Master of Arts diploma, which we could compare with that of the most prestigious degree from the most prestigious school of our time. Whatever you think is the m- most prestigious school, maybe it's still the University of Paris, <clears throat> maybe it's Cambridge Uh, maybe it's Oxford, whatever university you think is that most prestigious university, he obtained the highest degree from that university. So certainly this is a man, that is St. Bonaventure, who has a muscle-bound intellect. And at that point in his life, like so many young in the past and also today, Giovanni was asking himself those all-important questions, and maybe we can say the most important question. 
What should I do with my life? Fascinated by the witness of fervor and that evangelical radicalism that so embodied the Franciscan spirituality, he was deeply touched by them when they had gone to visit Paris. And because of that, they left a deep, deep impression upon him. And after he completed his degree, Giovanni knocked at the door of the Franciscan convent in that city and asked to be admitted to the great family of St. Francis's disciples. Why, you ask? Well, he would actually explain many years later that he recognized Christ's action in St. Francis and in the movement he had founded. He wrote in one letter, found this to be fascinating, to another friar, I confess before God that the reason I love the life of blessed Francis most is that it resembled the birth and early development of the church. Bonaventure would go on. The church began with simple fishermen and was subsequently enriched by very distinguished and wise teachers. The religion of blessed Francis was not established by the prudence of men, but by Christ. Great quote there. And how important is this? I mean, you have heard me talking in the past about the importance of all of us as sons and daughters of God to just focus in on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we concentrate ourselves on the person of Jesus Christ, it has a huge impact upon all those around us, huh? This is what we see in every life of a saint. In our own age, certainly we can turn to Mother Teresa. She had a singular focus on Jesus Christ, and it had a huge impact, huh? She entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and in that fire, she allowed the wind of the Spirit to blow. And like any brush fire, did her faith spread. This is the power of one person choosing Christ unconditionally, with no modifications, without calculation. Yes, Lord Jesus, whatever you will. And so certainly this is what we see in the great St. Bonaventure. So it was in about the year 1243, Giovanni was clothed in the Franciscan habit and took the name, well, as we know him, Bonaventure. He was immediately sent to study and attend the Faculty of Theology of the University of Paris, where he took a series of very demanding courses. And it was there where he obtained the various qualifications required for an academic career, being versed in sacred scripture, but also that great classic that we've discussed already of Peter Lombard, The Sentences. And again, remember that that work, The Sentences, quickly became a manual for doing theology and better understanding faith and reason. So if you are versed in sacred scripture and versed in the sentences, you are well on your way into a great academic career. Now, it's interesting, going into this time period, he was in contact with the teachers and students from all across Europe who would converge in Paris. And it was here where he really began to develop his own personal thinking and we could say spiritual sensitivity of the great value with which in following years, he was able to infuse his works and his sermons, thus becoming one of the most important theologians, as many regard him, in the history of the church. And what was his focus and what he studied? Well, 
the person of Jesus Christ. Simply put, everything he did in both his thought and his work was about the person of Jesus Christ. And you see this come through like a golden thread all throughout his sermons, his addresses, his writings. Yes, but also his very life. There was this beautiful symbiosis between, again, contemplation and action, and how Jesus Christ essentially steered all that he was about. Now, among many of his great works was his work titled Evangelical Perfection. In this work, he showed how the mendicant orders, especially uh, the Franciscan friars, in practicing the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, were actually following the recommendations of the gospel itself. At this time, those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience were being challenged. So St. Bonaventure took up this challenge of what those councils were about, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And in this beautiful work, spoke to how these virtues that we call councils essentially reflect and embody the gospel itself. By the way, I use the word mendicant. What does that word mean? Well, it comes from the Latin mendicare, which means to beg. When we say a mendicant order, well, an order that was rooted, deeply rooted in poverty, and certainly this was uh, the Franciscan way, uh, most notably, um, was St. Francis. But what's really striking about that word is in its root, it actually means cripple. So you were made to beg, right? Well, for St. Francis, that's what it was about, that we were poor in God, that we are all called to be enrolled in the anawim of God. The, the Hebrew for the poor ones is anawim, the anawim of God, those who are bent over, literally, okay? So for St. Bonaventure, what he would want us to see is that we must all, just not those who are espousing towards the mendicant life in taking the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but all of us, to some degree, are made to see how we are called to be bent over. That is what the literal word anawi means. One who has assumed the disposition of humility. One who leans into God for all things. Remember that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who rely on God for everything. And of course, this being the first beatitude, that's pretty important, because the whole Sermon on, on the Mount, the whole charter for holiness, is about this disposition, one of deep contrition. So all of this was very important to St. Bonaventure, and in this great work, Evangelical Perfection, he really made the case of the great value of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and he did so with a deeper understanding that the church, in and through these vows and virtues, is made more luminous and beautiful. Anyone who wishes to take on these great vows becomes a unique instrument of the church, becomes a unique instrument of Jesus Christ himself. What are the words of the Baptist? May he increase as I decrease? That's the essence of what St. Bonaventure wants us to see. To the degree that we decrease and place less of an emphasis on who we are and more of an emphasis on Jesus Christ, we will be well on our way 
And when we do that, we will become lights in the darkness. As I've noted before, I've received the question, Joe, what are we to do? It's getting dark out there. Be that light and be mindful at the same time. The darker it gets, the brighter our light shines. And something else to this that I have failed to mention, the darker it gets, and in that, the brighter our light shines, the farther we can see. When we are lights, we allow not only people to see but see farther because it is so dark. You see, <laughs> I talk about this because a word that was very important to St. Bonaventure was illumination or what is luminous. The deeper we go into God, the greater our light will be. Okay, moving along in his biographical narrative. In 1257, this would be very important, he had to relinquish his distinguished post at the University of Paris as he was elected Minister General of the Friars Minor. So what does that mean? Well, he was the top dog. <laughs> That's what that means, okay? So he fulfilled this office for 17 years with wisdom and dedication. And this time where Bonaventure was elected as Minister General would prove to be vital, just not to Bonaventure, but to the history of the Franciscans, because the friars at this point had experienced an extraordinary expansion with more than 30,000 friars scattered throughout the West with missionaries in North Africa, Middle East, Peking, everywhere. I mean, the Franciscan movement soon after the time of St. Francis of Assisi was absolutely exploding. Now, what is its relevance to Bonaventure? Well, Bonaventure brought order to the order by consolidating the expansion and bringing a unity of action and a spirit of fidelity to the charism of St. Francis. Well, what do we mean by charism of St. Francis? Well, charism is that unique gift that belonged to a particular saint or person. And in this case, certainly with St. Francis, it was his love for the poor and really his love for uh, the incarnation of our Lord. And it was during this time that different ways of interpreting the message of St. Francis arose among his followers. So it was really running the risk of an internal split, if you will. And to avoid this danger, the friars accepted and ratified a text proposed by Bonaventure in which the norms regulating the daily life of the friars were collected, unified, and for all intents and purposes, we can say, codified. Bonaventure, however, and this is where we really get into the importance of who Bonaventure is as relates to the history of the Franciscans, foresaw that regardless of the wisdom and, and moderation which inspired the, the legislative measures, they would not suffice to guarantee a communion of spirit and of heart. And Bonaventure saw this. So he saw that it was then necessary to share the same ideas and the same motivations. And for this reason, Bonaventure wished to present the authentic charism, the original charism of Francis in his life and his teaching. So he zealously set out and collected documents concerning the saint for the ages by listening attentively to the memories of those who had actually known Francis. We must remember, Bonaventure is alive during a time where those who were closest to Francis were still alive as well. So, 
certainly we could see Bonaventure being inspired because of the importance of the time here. That, yes, there were still men and women who knew Francis, knew him well. Now, Bonaventure didn't, but there were those who did know Francis well. So this was important. So out from these interviews, we could say, he put together a historically well-founded biography of the great saint, and he titled it Legenda Minor. And in 1263, in a meeting in Paris, the Franciscan friars recognized St. Bonaventure's biography as the most faithful portrait of their founder, and so it is that the Legenda Minor became the saint's official biography. Here again, (laughs) this is huge for the Franciscan way when you study the Franciscans, because this is an important document. Now, the key image that came from the writings of St. Bonaventure was simply this. St. Francis was an altar Christus, another Christ, a man who sought Christ passionately. This would move Bonaventure again deeply, as he would note in his biography, this truth is what all of the friars should follow, this ideal way of putting Jesus Christ first. An ideal that, again, my friends, (laughs) is valid for every Christian, yesterday, today, and forever. That being said, moving along in the biographical narrative of one Saint Bonaventure, after his passing in 1274, an anonymous papal notary composed a eulogy to Bonaventure which gives us a conclusive portrait of the great saint. He said this, A good, effable, devout, and compassionate man, full of virtue, beloved of God and human being alike. God, in fact, had bestowed upon him such grace, I love this part, that all who saw him were pervaded by a love that their hearts could not conceal. Have you ever been around someone where you actually found your heart soon after meeting them, leaping for joy, a joy maybe that you hadn't experienced before, or maybe a joy that you hadn't experienced in a long time, a joy that belongs to our Christian faith. This is the kind of impact a saint would have. I absolutely love it. Now, before we run out of time here, I wanted to to speak to something that I think is important, and that is his governance, because as Benedict XVI reflects upon the way in which Bonaventure was able to breathe spiritual life into his governance, it's important for us to see this as something that all those who lead should be thinking about. Because St. Bonaventure saw that governing was not merely an action autonomous from his faith life, but something driven by the unity of his thinking and praying. It is to say that at the root of his governance, we always find prayer and thought. All his decision-making was the result of a deep reflection and of thought illumined by prayer. His intimate contact with Christ always accompanied him as minister general, and it was out from his time of being a minister general that he would compose a series of theological mystical writings that expressed the soul of his government. Isn't it interesting that he would give us his mystical theology when he was a minister general, when he was overseeing, when he was shepherding, when he was governing. Well, sure, why not? Remember, contemplation precedes the action. So he found himself going deeper and deeper because of what he was being called to do. 
St. Bonaventure remembered that salient truth as it relates to being and doing, that we are first human beings before we are human doings, that one forms and informs the other, right? There is one writing in particular of Bonaventure that really gives insight into the soul of his governance, and this was called The Mind's Road to God. In many ways, as Benedict XVI notes, was a manual for mystical contemplation. This book was also conceived in a deeply spiritual place, Mount Laverna. Mount Laverna is where St. Francis had received the stigmata. Now, what is the stigmata? Those marks that correspond with the runes of Christ. Hundreds of saints have received these marks, and if you are a doubter, all you have to do is go online. There are many atheists out there who did not believe this, who just thought this was some sham in the Catholic Church, as many atheists no longer atheists testify, is actually in doing the science behind of some of these saints, and I'm thinking of the most recent saint, Saint uh, Padre Pio uh, from Italy, who bore the marks and whose life led to many, many conversions. So if you want to do your homework there and shoot me some questions, please do so. Anyhow, it was in this place where St. Francis of Assisi received the stigmata, and if my history is correct, if he's not the first, he was one of the first to receive the stigmata. That is St. Francis of Assisi. So it was in Mount Laverta where he wrote this great work, <laughs> The Mind's Road to God. And, and in the introduction, Bonaventure describes the circumstances that gave rise to the writing. He says this, While I meditated on the possible ascent of the mind to God, amongst other things there occurred that miracle which happened in the same place to the blessed Francis himself namely the vision of the winged seraph in the form of a crucifix. While meditating upon this vision, I immediately saw that it offered me the ecstatic contemplation of Father Francis himself, as well as the way that leads to it. The six wings of the seraph in Bonaventure's thought become the symbol of the six stages that lead man progressively from the knowledge of God through the observation of the world and creatures, and through the exploration of the soul itself with its faculties, to the satisfying union with the Trinity through Christ in imitation of St. Francis of Assisi. So it is. We have this great doctor of the church, who we call the seraphic doctor because of the six wings of the seraph that became the symbol of the six stages that lead to this mystical union with Jesus Christ. Remember what mystical theology is all about. Simply defined is that branch of theology that deals with our relationship with Jesus Christ in all of the supernatural mysterious elements. Essentially, how in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, under the invocation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we never cease to be who we are, in my case it's Joe Holcraft, while at the same time becoming something more in light of the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we can say when you talk about mystical theology, it is about going deeper in our faith that we might become the best version of who God wants us to be in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of this can sound high and fancy, but to simplify it, it is about going deeper and deeper and deeper into this very profound 
intimate place with Jesus Christ. One, my dear friends, that always starts with that great invocation to prayer that Paul reminds us of in Romans 8.15, Abba, Father, because a deeper union is a deeper intimacy. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.